I'm not pulling in my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for the drive to work at home edition. Okay, well, I like interviewing people when I'm at home, and today I have Ethan Fleischer to talk all about Dominaria United. Hey, Ethan. Hi. Hi, Mark. Okay, so um, so you let you let the design, the vision design, uh, and exploratory design for the set. Um, so let's talk about where where did it start? So where, what what did what what did we know going into this? I mean, you led the team. I was on the team, so we were both there. What what did we know going into this? We knew that this was going to kick off a major story arc that you know was going to involve the Phyrexians, and we knew that Dominaria was intimately associated with the Phyrexians. The Phyrexians kind of had their had their beginnings in Dominaria, and they since moved to various other planes over the years. But uh, their their roots are here. Uh, we also knew that we'd done a very successful uh, set in 2018 called Dominaria, and we had lots of cool ideas that couldn't fit in one set, and there, so there were lots of lots of good ideas left over. Well, it's, you make a good point, by the way. Uh, you and I had both worked on Dominaria. Um, right. Uh, flipped roles, and then I was leaving the set. You were on the set, but um, you had you had, and then you led the exploratory for Dominaria. Um, right. Uh, so anyway, you and I had, were familiar, and one of the things to point out here, in case the audience doesn't know this, is you are one of the foremost experts on, like, Dominarian history. Right. I am uh, one of, I'm, I've, I'm one of the people of the company that's read every book and short story about Dominaria, just as, over the course of working on the, the 2018 Dominaria set, um, I was also uh, one of the writers for the World Guide, so I just did a huge amount of research, and researched everything so uh yeah it's all it's all up there in my head somewhere and so i can kind of call upon that information and use it to to quickly generate ideas and sort of take take different concepts from different sources and kind of uh find a a way to uh synthesize concepts out of multiple things okay so where did the set start so we knew we were going back to dominaria we knew it's beginning of a big story so where did the design start? Um, that is a good question. I guess I started by establishing sort of some creative pillars. Um, and it started with Dominaria's original essence that we established in the 2018 Dominaria. So that was uh, high fantasy, rich history, and vibrant renewal. Uh, and then there were two other big goals here. One was express the environmental story. So in the, uh, you know, in, in the 2018 Dominaria, we basically, uh, spent a lot of time setting up a theme for what this plane was about, those three things. Uh, but we knew that we didn't need to do that again here. Like Dominaria had established its identity and players liked it. We didn't need to mess with that, but we did need to figure out what else beyond this plane is going on here. And the the big thing that's happening uh, in Dominaria uh, United is Phyrexian agents are infiltrating everything, trying to sabotage things, trying to kidnap people and sow discord and confusion. Meanwhile, the good guys are trying to form alliances and form a new coalition 
to fight back against the Phyrexians. So we've got these this conflict going on that is happening all over the all over the plane of Dominaria. So we want to express that. Uh, and then the third thing that we really wanted to establish was setting up kayaking, lacrosse, and marathon. Those are the uh, the the brothers war and uh, Phyrexia all will be one and March of the Machine. So we wanted to make sure that there were some elements here, both mechanical and creative, that would kind of set things up and sort of prime the audience to be able to enjoy those sets better. The other thing, by the way, is one of the things we had established on Dominaria, and you know, Dominaria set, was the idea that this world is shaped by its history. And that is mm -hmm. history, like, uh, I like to say, like, you know, its present is shaped by its past. Um, so it's very interesting, like, of all the places we could have Phyrexians, Dominaria has a really rich history with the Phyrexians. This is not their first time uh, interacting with them. And so I know we, we got to play into that. Right. And, and it, the, the thing that's interesting about the Phyrexians in Dominaria is that they have been present throughout Dominaria's story from, you know, the, the Thran times all the way up to the present. And so they're kind of integrated into, into Dominaria's setting. Like they, they belong here more than anyone else does. Uh, more than, they, I, sorry, they belong here more than they do anywhere else. Like they are, they are part of Dominaria and Dominaria is part of them. Okay, so... I know one of the things we did early on is we talked about like, okay, what was in Dominaria that we wanted to bring back? Like, cause we're like this Dominaria had gone really well. So we, when Dominaria came out, we had, I think 13 year gap between us being in Dominaria and returning to Dominaria in the set Dominaria. Um, right. The previous outing was time spiral block. Right. And the set went really well. It was very, very popular. And so we knew we wanted to go back to Dominaria again. So um, let's talk a little bit about what, like what expectations we had of going back to Dominaria. Yeah. So one of the big successes of Dominaria was the legends theme. Um, we had one legendary creature per pack in Dominaria. And we thought that that was just a slam dunk uh, and decided to do that again for Dominaria United. Um, I love designing legendary cards. And so, um, and that coupled with my uh, good understanding of the background, all the different cultures and, and history here, meant that I was much more involved in toplining the legends than I ordinarily would have been. Um, almost, I, I believe all of the members of the world building team who worked on uh, the Dominaria World Guide originally have since left the company. And so it kind of fell to me to kind of be the Dominaria expert uh, and work with the world building team uh, to at least come up with an initial uh, list of legends and um, figure out what the what the cool things could be to uh, to resonate with the audience and call back to to previous things. Um, so you used later the word on the process during uh, during set design the uh you know the the concepting uh burdens fell more and more on the world building team as they uh you know solved problems on a more tactical level 
You used a word I wanted. Uh, sometimes we use words because we use them at work all the time, but I want to make sure the audience mm -hmm. understands what it means. So you talked about top lining. What is top oh, lining? Top lining. Yeah. Top lining is the the first step in creating an illustration and name for a magic card. So usually what happens is we uh, the the game designers will design a card and figure out what it wants to do mechanically, and then. The world building team will uh, have a series of meetings called top lining where they look at the cards and brainstorm ideas for what the concept could be. What should be in the illustration here? What should be the name of this card? Uh, just very roughly and simply. Uh, and then the conceptors will take those top lines, pick the coolest idea that doesn't overlap with any of the other top lines from anywhere else in the set, and then they'll write an art description uh, that the artists can use to illustrate it. And then finally, the creative text team will figure out what the final name of the card should be. But uh, top lining is sort of the, the very first um, thing that the world building team does for an individual magic card now a lot of the time we don't start with a mechanic we'll start with a creative idea and that was certainly the case with many of these uh legendary creatures in dominaria united though definitely not all by all means do you have an example of a legendary creature like just use as a story here what what's a legendary creature that you feel exemplifies what we're talking about um, I think Joda is a great example. Um, okay, let, let, let me let me read Joda to everybody, and then uh, you can tell all about how Joda came to be. So, Joda the Unifier, white, blue, black, red, green. It's a f all five colors in its mana cost. Uh, he's a legendary creature, human wizard, 5-5. Five, five. Legendary creatures you control get plus S plus X, where X is the number of legendary creatures you control. Whenever you cast a legendary spell from your hand, exile cards from the top of your library until you exile a legendary non-land card with lesser mana value. You may cast that card without paying its mana cost. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Right. So Joda is a descendant of characters from the Brothers Brothers War. He is either Urza or Mishra's son. and He's Caleb and Krug's son. Um, and so because Dominaria has this theme of history, we like to have characters who are descendants of famous other characters. Uh, and as one of the very few people who is known to be a descendant of a character from the Brothers War, and the fact that we're doing a set about the Brothers War meant that we really wanted to make sure that Joda was in this set uh, so that he could sort of represent the the uh, the brothers uh, as far as his family. Um a lot of the time in the novels where Joda appeared in the Ice Age novels, he did a lot of diplomatic work where he was going from place to place and helping people to put aside their differences. He was instrumental, for example, in uh, the you know establishing peace between the Balduvians and the Kildorans so that they could form the nation of New Argive. Yeah, we wanted to put him into that role again here. Um, so his mechanic is all about getting these characters and helping them to work together, right? Yeah, one of the things that's interesting about Joda is, I think Joda's motivated by the fact that whoever his father is, whether it's Urza or Mishra, they did the exact opposite, right? They were sort of destroyers rather than builders. Right. Yes, he's very much 
Yes, you're, you're never going to see Joda wreaking havoc, destroying civilization, things like that. Joda is all about building up. He's all about helping people. Uh, he just cannot help himself, can't stop helping people. Uh, but yeah, he, he's not one to uh, throw his weight around or, uh, or destroy things. And, uh, I kn- and, and that's that's very conscious. Like he he does not want to he does not want to be like Urza. He does not want to be like Mishra. Yeah. So one of the tricky things about this set, even though there were a lot of legends, because we had the, once again the one legend per pack thing, um, there are more legends that exist in Dominaria than we can do. Like it, it's a very rich with characters. Yeah, I I sat down with Andy Sardellis, uh, who was the creative lead during Vision Design. And we just generated a huge list of legends. And there were lots of great ideas in there. Many of them made it into the set. Many of them, like, got left by the wayside for one reason or another. I'm like, oh, man, if we ever do Dominaria 3, we got uh, we got plenty of good ideas left in the tank. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's a world kind of rich in embarrassment of how much creative, like, stuff is there. Right. And that's sort of a consequence of the fact that they're... I think it's 27, 28 magic sets uh, set in Dominaria. So, like, there's just a huge amount of material out there. And, you know, anything could be the inspiration for a legendary creature. And just when you have a, uh, you know, world building that's three times as deep as as any other plane, it really uh, just provides a lot of grist for the mill. Okay, so that let's talk deep cuts. What is the legendary creature in this set that you think is the deepest cut that you were excited to see? Oh, I, th- I think that the deepest cut has probably got to be Erg Spawn of Turg. So, uh, okay, then, then, I'll then, explain this one. Okay. Oh, okay. Go ahead. <laughs> do, you, do you have the card? So, um, oh yeah, you read the card and I'll okay. think about what I want to say about Erg Spawn of Turg, black, black, green. So three mana total, two black, one green. He's a legendary creature, Frog Beast. His power is star, and his toughness is five. Erg Spawn of Turg's power is equal to the number of lands in your graveyard. At the beginning of your upkeep, look at the top card of your library. You may put that card into your graveyard. Black, green, sacrifice the land. You gain two life. So tell me about this Frog Beast. Who is he? Where does he come from? How this Frog Beast came about. Um, Back in... The in uh, onslaught block, there were these creatures called anurids. Um, I guess it was Odyssey block. So these were frog beasts. And uh, in the in the novels, we used to release a novel with every magic set. Uh, in the novels, one of the characters was one of these anurids, and his name was Turg. And he loved to eat things. He was not very smart. He was um, Ambassador Laquatus's original champion. So uh, I don't know if everyone remembers Ambassador Laquatus. He was a merfolk who was a jerk. He was the bad um, guy of that of the Odyssey story, right? Yeah. Um, so, and there were there were several cards representing these aneurids in uh, in in that uh, that sort of two year Otarian uh, block there. So when we were making uh, Modern Horizons one, we made an aneurid. We made a new aneurid card uh, called Excavating Aneurid. And I was also on the creative text team for that for that set. And so one of the creative text writers uh, 
came up with an outrageous pun for the flavor text, which was very appropriate because, of course, uh, you were in charge of uh, flavor text for uh, f- during Odyssey, right? I was. I was. I was in charge of the flavor text for Odyssey. So there were more puns per card in Odyssey block than any other magic block that I'm aware of. Not so not not unset. Yes. Well, yeah. Aside from unsets, we'll 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 leave those aside. But as far as black bordered magic goes, more more puns in in flavor text and names than anywhere else. So we knew we had to have a an outrageous pun on this aneurid. Uh So one of the flavor text writers wrote, uh, Turg's spawn ruled long after he croaked. So this was a a callback to Turg from these from the Odyssey novels, and uh, of course has a pun, which would be appropriate for this Odyssey callback. Now, of course, when we're, when, you know, when I was coming back to do Dominaria United, I was thinking about, like, what are all the different families? We got the, the Carthalians. They stretch back to before the Brothers War. We've got Joda here. He's one of Urza's kids. We've got some Capuchins. Uh, and I was I was remembered this, uh, this flavor text about Turg's spawn. So I was like, all right. Let's make a card about Turg's spawn. And so we have Erg, spawn of Turg, here. Well, that's good. That's probably the deepest cut. Okay, so um, let's transition from legendary creatures and talking about some of the mechanics of the set. Um, so one of the things that Dominari introduced to the world was sagas. Um, we wanted to represent stories, and we used some technology of, like early versions of Planeswalkers, uh, and we ended up making sagas. Um, sagas have gone on to be very popular, and many sets have had sagas in them. Uh, but we knew, coming back to Dominaria, like, how, how do we not have sagas, uh, you know, in a, a, a setting on Dominaria? So let's talk about how did you come up with a different take on sagas? Yeah, we... Uh... We did the sort of the first major twist on sagas. You know, we've we've done multicolor sagas in a in a previous magic set, but this was this was the first time we added a new mechanical element. So um, somebody on the design team came up with the idea for uh, the read ahead mechanic, which normally you have to start on chapter one with the uh, with a saga and proceed, and it, it plays out the same way every time. But uh, with the read-ahead mechanic, you can start on any chapter. So if you want to skip straight to the end and read the last chapter on the the turn the saga comes into play, you can do that. Um, This was a challenging mechanic to work on because not only did you have all of the normal constraints that uh, saga labors under, which are, they're difficult. They're, They're hard to design. They're very satisfying once they're done, but they're, they require a lot of work for each card. Uh, but on top of all the normal problems with a saga, you needed to make sure that every chapter was something that you might want to do, but you might not want to do, except for the last one, of course, which should be something you always want. So that was an extra challenge, uh, mostly for the set design team to, to deal with. But, uh, ultimately like, I think they did a great job and uh, you know made made these sort of cards that had a lot of what we would the sort of effects that we put on a modal card like a charm or something, uh, but they're here on a saga, so you kind of get to choose which thing to do. 
Do you remember? I'm trying to think. I, I, we must have tried other things. Although I, I, this is the part I remember. Like I don't, I don't remember what the other things were, but I know we we experimented with different takes on sagas. Yeah, we did. Let's see. There were a few things that we also thought about. Oh, um, I, I remember one. We discussed. We discussed. Um, chapters that go bo- backward or forward or in a circle we we're talking about locks where like a chapter won't proceed unless you've met a certain condition uh we've talked about aura sagas so they go on creatures and like the creature is telling the story uh we talked about some iconic spell sagas there were sort of sagas that uh give you access to an iconic spell uh that relates to the story so like maybe maybe it lets you cast a copy of that spell um sort of like um uh garth one eye or something um yeah those those were those were the ideas that we played around with besides just doing doing sagas as they originally appeared which would have been acceptable i think uh or the the read ahead sagas yeah the one i remember is um uh, the branching path where you would come to a thing where you had to choose which way you wanted to go so the saga like mm-hmm. chapter one would be the same but then there's two choices for chapter two and then two different choices for three depending on which choice for two you made yes um, yes that was another one um yeah yeah yeah, some of these were things we had originally talked about in original. When we originally made sagas, we came up with a lot of ideas and then simplified them. And we went back and said, oh, here's some ideas we had. But they, you know, so. Uh, but Read Ahead was, I think we made, it was made up during this design. That wasn't an idea we had before. Yeah, I don't, I don't recall anyone discussing Read Ahead uh, during the, the original Dominaria design. Um, so, that, I think it was James Rose that came up with the idea, but I wouldn't swear by it. It's been it's been a couple of years since yeah. the vision design team. Right. Um but, but yeah, that that was the that was the innovation that I had the highest confidence in uh coming out of exploratory design and yes, it uh made it all the way through vision design and all the way through set design. Okay, so I want to talk about something that didn't that vision did, but it didn't make it through set design. Um because there's an interesting story of sort of what happened to it, um, which is historic. So Historic was a mechanic we had made for original Dominaria that uh, batched together three things. Uh, so uh, if you were historic, it's if you were either an artifact or you were a legendary uh, permanent or you were a saga. A legendary um, anything. Because legendary were anything, legendary right. Legendary right, right. Yes, a legendary uh, thing. A legendary thing, right, right. Um, and so, right, and it seemed obvious to bring historic back, right? Like it's it seemed like this is the mechanic that sort of uh, mechanically ties together these three things that um, exemplify history, that illustrate history is happening. Um, however, we we can't just look back; we have to look forward, right? We have to think about what's happening in the sets ahead. Uh, I, when, I'm going to say, I'm going to say, spoiler warning, uh, the Brothers War set is going to involve artifacts, lots of artifacts. I yeah, don't think that's going to be a shock to anyone. Yeah, and the, so, uh, historic, of course, is a, is a mechanic that rewards you for collecting things, right? It rewards you for collecting artifacts and legendaries and sagas and putting them in your deck. 
And those kinds of rewards are fun deck building hooks, right? They get you to put these things together and, and, and uh, people, players like to be told to collect this or collect that and build a deck with it. Um, but they also are risky in standard, right? If we've got a bunch of rewards for artifacts, that kind of puts a ceiling on how strong we can make those artifacts. Because at some point, if you put them all together in your deck with your historic cards, uh, those historic cards are going to power them up and, and, and create synergy. And ultimately, we didn't want to place any sort of artificial ceiling on how strong these artifacts could be coming up. We wanted to give the designers of the future set, uh, Brothers War set, the, the ability to make the, make the artifacts at the right power level um, without any artificial constraints imposed by these historic cards. So we cut the historic stuff out of the, out of the Dominaria set. The set still has legendaries, and it still has sagas, and it still has artifacts. It just doesn't have that historic mechanic to sort of explain why they're all here. Yeah, and it's interesting, just interesting to note in that one of the reasons we were excited by Historic was it was it was going to lead into what follows. Like, oh, this this will be very synergistic with what comes after it. Uh, but the problem was it was kind of too synergistic. And that yeah. while you want things to connect, what you don't want to do is sort of trump what's coming, right? You don't want to like, we do something here which limits what they can do on the set after us. And that was its fundamental yeah. problem, which was we would have to lock in our cards before they would know exactly everything they're doing and that we would make choices that would then force their hand and we didn't want to do that. Right. Ultimately, from a sort of architecting standard uh, standpoint, it's much better to make the cards and then in a later set build, add the synergy cards that kind of tie things together because you're, you're sort of uh enabling a deck using components with a known power level um whereas speculating and trying to guess what the power level of these cards is going to be in the future is much more risky and could lead to unfun situations where there's just some decks that are just way stronger than the rest and dominate the the standard metagame okay so i we're not too far from my desk here so i want to sort of finish up is there any Area that you were interested in talking about that we haven't got to yet of of, of Dominar United. Oh well, um, let's talk about Power Stone tokens a little bit. Okay, another. So, so there are two. There are two cards that make Power Stone tokens in Dominaria United. Uh, we've got your uh, the Mana Rig and the new Karn card. Uh, and why don't you read off what Power Stones do? Sure. Okay, so let me read Power Stones. Okay, so Power Stones say um, it's an artifact with, quote, tap, add colorless. This mana can't be spent to cast a non-artifact spell. I'm just going to say that uh, our team did not design the Power Stone <laughs> tokens. Yeah, when, when the Brothers War comes out... I will tell that uh, the Power Stone went through a lot of changes, and there's a story to tell there, but it is not Dominar United's story to tell. Um, 
this was what we call, by the way, we call this a throw forward, which means it's nice sometimes to just tease something that gets paid off larger in a, in a later set. And Magic has done a few throw forwards in, in, in its time. Yeah, I, I think it's fun. It really tickles the audience's imagination and lets them speculate about like, oh, what's this going to mean? So you will see what Power Stones are all about pretty soon. And for those that don't know the Brothers' War, the Power Stones are important in the story of the Brothers' War. Yeah, the Power Stones are sort of magical batteries that uh, power the uh, the artifacts. Yes. Er, uh, spoiler alert: Urza and Mishra were artificers. So um, it always feels funny to be able to say so many things about this upcoming magic set. <laughs> That is true. When you you base it on a story that came out uh, almost thirty years ago, uh, you yeah. can say some stuff. So, um, but yeah, one of the things we wanted was we wanted to do a throw forward. I think there were more power. I think that at some point there were like five or six power stones in the set. Yeah, I think there were more initially, and and we we parted pared it down to the the two, uh, the two cards that you see here. There are a lot of other throw forwards. Uh, many of them are creative rather than mechanical, but uh, there are lots of Lots of little seeds planted here that will grow into things that you'll you'll see in the uh, upcoming sets here. We we tried to set things up so that there were going to be a lot of fun payoffs. So pay attention to all the little details and stay tuned for more Phyrexian arc stuff. Yeah, and one of the things to remember is these two were these two sets. This you know, Dominaria United and Brothers War are both set on Dominaria. You know, they're many years apart, but we we. We get to have some fun where things you'll see in this set might show up or you know, in the story or in other ways in, in Brothers War. So there's definitely a lot of us, more so than normal, there's uh, more sort of Easter eggs for Brothers War sitting in this set. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like the whole reason that we added this whole new faction the of New Argive was that they are the modern day descendants of one of the factions from the Brothers War. So anyway, um, I, I'm at my desk here. So I, uh, there's a lot more to talk about. Tom and Nine has a lot of cool things in it, but uh, it was, it's neat looking back. Like one of the things that's fun is Dominaria has this sense of kind of being home in a way, just cause magic spent so long there in its early days. So it's, it's always fun to go back and visit Dominaria. Yep. I agree. It was, it was fun to work on it and it's fun to watch everyone's reaction to the, uh, the card previews. So I want to thank you, Ethan, for joining us. It was fun talking my with pleasure. you. Uh, and to everybody else, I'm now at my desk. So we all know what that means. It means it's the end of my drive to work. So instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. So once again, thanks, Ethan. Thank and, you. And I'll see all you guys next time. Bye-bye.